Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. The Pope's recent comments about civil unions for homosexual couples has made international headlines, and while we wait for clarification from the Vatican, Bishop offers his own interpretation of the Pope's comments in this episode. Then Bishop and Kyle talk about the newest encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, Italian for All Brothers. In it, Pope Francis writes about the need for fraternal love and unity. Plus, a beatification this weekend, Father Michael McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, is set to be beatified on October 31st. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman. Thank you again, Bishop, for joining us for another exciting episode of Truth and Charity. You're welcome, Kyle. Never a dull moment in the world, is there? There's a lot of things to talk about today. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Oh, one of the things, we have a, a new encyclical. And what is your process when you hear about a new encyclical that comes out? Do you feel like a sense of urgency that you need to read it or study it as a bishop? Yes. I read it right away. Okay. As soon as it was out, but I read it too fast. So then I go back and look, read it more carefully, more reflectively afterwards. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear some of your thoughts on it. And also, uh, would you like to start with a prayer, maybe the one from the encyclical? Yes. At the end of the encyclical, the Pope Francis has two prayers, and, and one of them is an ecumenical Christian prayer. And I thought I would begin today's show with this prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. O God, Trinity of love, from the profound communion of your divine life, Pour out upon us a torrent of fraternal love. Grant us the love reflected in the actions of Jesus, in his family of Nazareth, and in the early Christian community. Grant that we Christians may live the gospel, discovering Christ in each human being, recognizing him crucified in the sufferings of the abandoned and forgotten of our world, and risen in each brother or sister who makes a new start. Come, Holy Spirit, show us your beauty reflected in all the peoples of the earth so that we may discover anew that all are important and all are necessary, different faces of the one humanity that God so loves. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk more about this encyclical, but before we do, we have a few things to mention. One is that uh, this week's sponsor is from a member of the Kingdom Builders, uh, one of their fans, which is a women's ministry here in the diocese. And so she wanted to donate in, in honor of Kingdom Builders. And just to mention, people can check out more about Kingdom Builders at buildingthroughhim.com. They've got a Facebook group. Also, things happening around the diocese in different parishes. People can follow along. And I know it's been a great ministry for many women in the area. Uh, also, we have a beatification coming up. Pretty exciting. Yes. You know, um, this Saturday, Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> on Halloween, October all, 31st. All Hallows Eve. Yes. That's what we should call it. All there we go. <laughs> the, the, the Vigil of All Saints. I think there's a lot of people excited, especially our Knights of Columbus, uh -huh. because the founder of the Knights of Columbus, Father Michael McGivney, will be beatified. And this is something that we've been praying for for years. And uh, I'm happy that this is going to take place because he was a very holy and exemplary priest. 
As you may know, his parents were immigrants from Ireland. He was their firstborn in Waterbury, Connecticut. Connecticut, by the way, was very anti-Catholic at that time. Huh. 1852, he was born. It was a time where you know the Industrial Revolution was going on. As a matter of fact, when he was young, I think he was like 13, he had to leave school and work in a brass factory making spoons to help his family because it you know struggling financially. And then right after the Civil War, when he was 16, he began his studies for the priesthood. And um, he uh, you know, had to do some makeup work because he had dropped out of school, but he did fine. And really, he was a very dedicated student, but it was not real easy for him. He uh, ended up, of course, getting ordained. He was just a very good young priest, especially known for taking care of his pastoral care of the sick and the elderly. He was a very good catechist. He taught the children. He visited those in prison and all those who were suffering. So even non-Catholics, and as I said, there was a lot of anti-Catholic bigotry, but they were impressed by him too because he had a very warm personality. But he was very zealous in his priestly ministry. Got laity involved a lot. This is way before the Second Vatican Council. So, you know, that was pretty interesting. He began at St. Mary's Church in New Haven. That's, I don't know if you've ever been there. That's kind of near Yale University. Okay. And he's, uh-huh. he's, he's uh, entombed there in a chapel. And when he got to, to St. Mary's Church in New Haven, the pastor was real sick, pretty sick. So, so he was in charge a lot of times. And he was helping a lot of people who were hurting young people, immigrants. He really set out to, to serve his people with a lot of dedication, especially these waves of, of immigrants who were coming over, who were very poor. There was a lot of alcoholism among young men. Hmm. So there were a lot of social problems. And he wanted to do something about it because it was causing separation in families, etc. So he started helping the young men of the parish whether it was because of alcoholism or a lot of unemployed young men. Mm -hmm. And he founded a a group for these young men, uh, abstinence kind of group, to help them to, to, to overcome these troubles of life. So... This was a a very important thing. A lot of these were, by the way, poor Irish immigrants that he was serving. At the same time, there were all these societies and secret clubs that men were attracted to. So he felt there was a need for a society, a fraternity of men. So that group of men that he had formed that he was helping, he ended up kind of making it into a fraternal society that became known as the Knights of Columbus. So he got the support of the bishop to do this. Not all the priests were real keen on it, but he was able to do it anyhow. And basically, it was going to be a lay-run group, which was very unusual. It was to you know, prevent these men from joining these other kinds of Protestant secret societies. Okay. But there would be some benefits, uh, insurance benefits, etc., especially for the financial assistance uh, for families if the the breadwinner died, which was normally the father, the husband and father. So it became a real success for it in, in insurance, really providential to assist, also to assist families of sick members. So he really was defending the family and the unity of the family. So as men, more men joined, you know, the Knights of Columbus was born. That was in 1881. 
at St. Mary's Church in New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs> and now there's more than 2 million members throughout the world. And um, there was a pandemic, by the way, kind of interesting for us going through a uh, pandemic in 1889. And, and he, I think, contracted whatever the flu was and developed pneumonia. And after he was confined to bed, et cetera, and, and eventually died in 1890, he was only 37 years old, hmm. um, close to his 38th birthday. And um, there's a variety of ways people can watch the beatification mass. All right. So we're going to be talking about Pope Francis's new encyclical coming up, but also besides that, Pope's been in the news recently with a little, I don't want to call it controversy necessarily, but maybe a little bit of confusion over some of the comments that he made in a documentary that I, I, I don't know if it's even out yet, or I haven't seen the documentary. Have you seen it? No, I, okay. I imagine, I think it's Italian. Okay. Uh, Francesco, it's called, and it's uh -huh. about his pontif Pope Francis's pontificate. I know that they had, I think, a release or a showing at the Vatican, but whether it's been released to the public yet, I don't know. Okay. But there's specifically, he made some comments about civil unions that I think people are a little confused about. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of confusion. The um, there's also those who really applauded it because they think that it's a step towards the Pope approving same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, that's not what the Pope intends. And then others have criticized it, um, you know, those who oppose same-sex marriage. But I think many, like you said, are just confused. Since the, the Vatican has not issued a clarification, I wrote something that's going to be in today's Catholic, kind of my own interpretation of what the Pope said. Now, maybe the Holy See will offer a clarification, but mm -hmm. since so many people have been writing to me and asking for an explanation, I felt it was important that I do so. Okay. Basically, I think it would be helpful to the listeners if I just quoted what the Pope said in the documentary. Mm -hmm. And he said it in Spanish, correct? He did. Um, okay. Actually, it's an interesting thing. The documentary took this from a sp interview for a Spanish or a Mexican television network uh -huh. back in a year ago in 2019, where he gave an interview. And what they did was they put together, the documentary joined together answers of the Pope to two different questions. <laughs> so by putting them together, it causes some of the confusion, which I'll explain. Mm -hmm. But let me just give the quote first, and then I'll explain to you the two different questions. Sure. The words quoted by the Pope are, homosexual people have a right to be part of a family. They're children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. What we have to create is a civil union law. That way, they are legally covered. End quote. Mm -hmm. Now, the first three sentences of that were a response to a question the interviewer had asked him about something about integrating into the church people who are living in irregular situations. Mm -hmm. And the Pope answered, the Holy Father answered by mentioning how homosexual persons should never be rejected, that they should never be excluded by their own families. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was referring to in those first three sentences. 
that are quoted in the documentary about homosexual persons having a right to be part of a family, et cetera. So basically they shouldn't be rejected, they shouldn't be excluded by their own family or Mm. by the church. And this is the teaching of the church. I mean, this is nothing new. The catechism says that persons with same-sex attraction must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. They should all be loved unconditionally. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's our teaching. So when the Pope is saying about they have a right to be part of a family, it's true. I mean, they shouldn't be thrown out of the house. Now, some were saying this meant that the Pope was saying that homosexual couples had a right to form a family, to have children. Right. Well, no, the Pope didn't say that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Pope was talking about someone within a family, for example, a, uh, a son or a daughter who have homosexual inclinations, whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, I think that provides some clarification. But the last two sentences really are an answer to another question, a different question. Now, you wouldn't know that from the documentary because they put them together. So the last two sentences that the Pope says are what we have to create is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. That was a question that he was asked about same-sex marriage. And if you see that original interview, right before saying those words, the Pope said, it is an incongruity to speak of homosexual marriage. And then he said that snippet that's shown in the documentary what we have to create is a civil union law. So what do we make of this? Well, first of all, I think it's important for us and for listeners to, to understand that Pope Francis has always opposed same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, even as Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he spoke out very strongly against the proposal to legalize same-sex marriage in Argentina. As a matter of fact, he used some strong language. He spoke of same-sex marriage as an anti-value and an anthropological regression. Hmm. So, And then as Pope, many times he's spoken of marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read his apostolic exhortation, The Joy of Love, Amoris Laetitia, Right there, he wrote, there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be in any way similar or even remotely analogous to God's plan for marriage and family, end quote. (laughs) Another thing, the Holy Father has been very clear that children have a right to a mother and a father. Mm -hmm. Also in Amoris Laetitia, in that apostolic exhortation, he wrote about this. He said, he wrote, and I quote, Every child has a right to receive love from a mother and a father. Both are necessary for a child's integral and harmonious development. Respecting a child's dignity means affirming his or her need and natural right to have a mother and a father, end quote. Right. So that's really important. You know, when Pope Francis talks about a civil union law, he's not talking about where you give the right to a uh, homosexual couple to adopt children or whatever. So what is he talking about, about civil unions for homosexual couples? Well, to try to understand this, when the Pope spoke out against same-sex marriage in Argentina, he did not speak out against civil unions (laughs) for same-sex couples. 
back in 2014, he was Pope, and he was asked in an interview, a newspaper interview, an Italian newspaper, and this is what he said. He said, and I quote, marriage is between a man and a woman. Secular states want to justify civil unions to regulate different situations of cohabitation. Pushed by the demand to regulate economic aspects between persons, such as ensuring health care. It is about packs of cohabitating of various natures, of which I wouldn't know how to list the different ways. One needs to see the different cases and evaluate them in their variety. Hmm. End quote. So it seems, I'm not the Pope's spokesperson spokesman here, uh-huh. but it seems that Pope Francis is open to some kind of civil union, or actually the word that he uses in Spanish in the, in the uh, interview is convivencia. He doesn't use the word union. It might mean the same thing, but, but literally it means civil living together. Okay. Um, so it seems like he's open to some kind of civil living together, some kind of perhaps civil union for cohabitating adults. Perhaps he has in mind something different from the homosexual civil unions that were criticized by the Vatican back in 2003, that important document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So I think that maybe Pope Francis is in favor of a civil arrangement which gives certain benefits to two people who live together and share domestic responsibilities. This would not be based on a presumed homosexual or a presumed sexual relationship. Okay. It wouldn't be giving legal recognition to homosexual unions per se. In other words, it'd be just giving some civil protections, some civil benefits uh, to two adults who are living together and dependent on each other. I mean, it could be two elderly siblings. It could be two friends living together where there's some, for example, hospital visitation rights or Mm health care insurance benefits or social security survivor benefits. So it wouldn't be recognizing such a relationship as equivalent to marriage. In fact, Pope Francis wrote in Amoris Laetitia that de facto or same-sex unions may not simply be equated with marriage. Now, that latter part is my opinion, kind of one way to that maybe Pope Francis, that's what he means. It's, it seems logical given what he said in the past, but I still hope we get a clarification from the Holy Father or from the Vatican regarding the quote. But I think at this point, everyone should be clear that there's been no change in church teaching about marriage. Mm-hmm. There's been no change in church teaching about homosexuality. The teaching of the catechism hasn't been changed. And even the directives of that 2003 instruction from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith remain in force. They remain in effect. I think everyone needs to understand that the Holy Father does not exercise his official teaching office or change church directives through television interviews, <laughs> right. you know? Right. So right. so I hope this is helpful to the listeners. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. I think there's been 
a lot of confusion. And unfortunately, a lot of people go to the extremes of thinking, oh, Pope Francis is changing church teaching on these things or you know, assuming the worst of him that he's a heretic or something like that. And Right, right. It's kind of sad because some people already have this opinion of Pope Francis, so they kind of don't have openness to interpreting things in the best light. Mm-hmm. But he is the successor of St. Peter, so we should interpret yeah. what he says in the best light. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for that explanation. I think that's very helpful for all of us. If you have a question for Bishop, you can ask it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, or you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll talk about the recently released encyclical from Pope Francis coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And as we've been talking about, there is a new papal encyclical out. And it's called Fratelli Tutti. No, Fratelli Tutti. Fratelli Tutti. (laughs) (laughs) Work on your Italian. I know, I'm in. Is it Italian or is it it Latin? Italian. Okay. It's St. Francis's words. Ah, okay. Yeah, Fratelli Tutti. Brothers all. All right. Brothers all. So Pope Francis, that you know, encyclicals are always t- entitled by the first words. Mm-hmm. So those were the are the first two words of, of this new encyclical. It's it's Pope Francis's third encyclical. Do you know what the other two are, Kyle? I um, always like to question. Amoris you. Letizia. That was an apostolic exhortation. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. Um, the environment one. That was Laudato uh, Si was an encyclical, right. but very early on in his the pontificate. joy of the gospel? No, that was an, an apostolic <laughs> exhortation. Okay. Before that, remember, it was something that Pope Benedict had started. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Lumen Fidei. Right. The light of faith, which I don't know how much of that was really written by Pope Francis. It was okay. issued by him, but I think, I think the bulk of it was probably written by Pope Benedict. Okay. Yeah. Can you see a different style between oh, yeah. the two? Yeah, okay. yeah. And definitely when I read Lumen Fide, it sounds more like the way Pope Benedict would speak okay. or write than, than Pope Francis. I could be wrong, but uh-huh. yeah. So what are some of the highlights from this newest encyclical? Well, it's a social encyclical, you know, so it's quite long. Um, have you read it? I've begun reading it, and I realized I was highlighting about half of it as I was going through. <laughs> and so I, I'm really excited about finishing it because it's really it's interesting. Really, yeah. Well, you know, when I started reading it, that first chapter, I mean, it's kind of an urgency about it. I mean, I, I sensed a certain urgency. By the way, it's a, the subtitle is On Fraternity and Social Friendship. So that's what it's about, human fraternity and social friendship. Mm -hmm. That's something in the United States, we don't really use that term, social friendship. So it's kind of an interesting, I think a very beautiful topic. But it's an encyclical that he addresses not only to Catholics, but to all Christians and really to all people. Uh, Very interesting. He actually says that specifically, and I highlighted it in uh, paragraph six, he says, although I have written it from the Christian convictions, 
that inspire and sustain me, I have sought to make this reflection an invitation to dialogue among all people of goodwill. Which I wonder how common that is. I usually I feel like the encyclical is for Catholics. Yeah. But this is specifically for everybody. Everybody, not just yeah, Catholics. It's true. I don't know. I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to think in Laudato Si, did he kind of open that up to others too i can't remember i mean it certainly does apply to everybody right but there's also i think a different way that you talk to fellow catholics versus talking to everybody there's a a, kind of there's less jargon in it i feel like yeah one commentator i read spoke of it as pope francis's love letter to the world Hmm. i thought wow that's kind of neat his love letter to the world there are eight chapters and to be honest, I told you the first time I read it, I read it too fast. Uh-huh. But when I read chapter one, I was like, "This is so depressing. I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I don't want to read anymore." You know, I mean, it, the the first chapter. Did you read the first chapter? Yeah, yet? yeah. yeah. Do, don't you agree? It's kind of depressing, or it's, it's almost a little scolding. Yeah, like yeah. you say, a love letter to the world, but it's it's also like a kind of get your act together. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Like, like a loving parent saying what you're right. doing is not right like yeah. you need to shape up yeah exactly and it's titled that first chapter is entitled dark clouds over a closed world yeah dark clouds over a closed world and really i mean you read it and you feel dark right um, but he really is giving an overview of, of many of the problems in the world mm-hmm. today and the dark clouds that hinder the development of universal fraternity. So these are like all these negative things going on that leave so many people hurt, mm-hmm. wounded by the roadside, like the uh, the man in the parable, the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. who was beaten up and left for nearly dead and left on the side of the road and everybody ignored him and until the Good Samaritan came. By the way, that is chapter two is the Good Samaritan. I'll get to that. But, yeah. but he's talking about in the world, there's so many people just rejected and discarded. And he does focus in one of the chapters, I forget which one, on refugees and how they've been kind of just left. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also is writing, while he started writing, he said, is when the pandemic came. And he, so with the COVID pandemic has also brought a lot of despair and discouragement. You know, he talks about polarization. I've been talking about that, not just in the United States. I mean, he didn't, he's addressing this to the world. And basically he wants to call the whole world to, to really a conversion, to the rebirth of a uni- what he calls the rebirth of a universal aspiration to fraternity. Hmm. And I thought, wow, this teaching on fraternal love is really needed today. You know, the world is so fragmented and countries don't work together, you know. And of course, even within countries, the fragmentation. I mean, look at what's happening in Nigeria, mm-hmm. you know, this past week. And I was talking to some of our Nigerian priests. They're heartbroken seeing what's happening in their country. But in any event, the, the Pope says something near the end, I think, of that first chapter. He says, let us dream then as a single human family as fellow travelers sharing the same flesh as children of the same earth which is our common home each of us bringing the richness of his or her beliefs and convictions each of us with his or her own voice brothers and sisters all Mm -hmm. brothers and sisters all 
you know, you look at this bleak picture that he paints in, in that first chapter, and he's basically, you know, saying things have to change. All this consumerism and empty individualism and people not caring about one another, not caring about migrants and refugees, et cetera, not caring about the unborn, all of these things. You know, it's kind of similar. He's talked about this all through his pontificate. He talks about a throwaway society, mm -hmm. you know, and even in the apostolic exhortation, the joy of the gospel, he, he talks about a throwaway culture. Uh, he says, no one should be thrown away. Uh, he's saying we, we need to avoid the temptation to build a culture of walls we need to replace that with more togetherness and there shouldn't be this indifference to the sufferings of others. Um, so anyhow, it's, he looks at all those negative contemporary trends in chapter one. My favorite, I know it's eight chapters, so I don't know how much time we have left, so sorry about that. But I'd say for me, chapter two is, mm -hmm. is beautiful. It's the highlight. I encourage everyone to read chapter two, because I think it's the heart of the encyclical. It's entitled, A Stranger on the Road. A Stranger on the Road. And it's really the Pope's meditation on the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's really the theological heart of the encyclical. So I'll try to summarize this. I've been really praying with this. I even spoke at an ecumenical gathering last week hmm. to a group of Protestant pastors, and I spoke about this chapter two of Fratelli Tutti. Uh -huh. It was a group of pastors in Bluffton, and Father David Violi hosted this yeah. luncheon, and I spoke about chapter two, and these Protestant pastors loved it. Yeah. You know, so it is really beautiful. Sermon material for them. <laughs> yes, exactly. But basically, Pope Francis says that this parable deals with an age-old problem regarding human relationships. And he goes back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, when God asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? Mm. Where is your brother Abel? His answer is one that we ourselves all too often give. Am I my brother's keeper? Pope Francis talks about an early Jewish tradition, there was the imperative to love and care for others, but it seems in the early traditions in the Bible, that was really more limited to members of one's own family and nation, like you were to take care, like if you read the book of Leviticus, you know, it's a lot about caring for your compatriots, mm -hmm. but that expanded through the Old Testament where it was, it came to include foreigners, mm -hmm. the aliens among you, the strangers. So, and then, of course, by the time of the New Testament, fraternal love is primary. You know, you see the importance, and and so and extended to enemies and to enemies right. exactly. And um, in the parable of Good Samaritan, the Pope says, "Love does not care if a brother or sister in need comes from one place or another." Mm. You know, so here you have a, a a Jewish man beaten up, helped by one of the enemies of, of the Jews would be a Samaritan. So anyhow, you have the parable. We all know it. Several people passed by the man who was assaulted, lying injured on the wayside, and they failed to stop. These were people who had important social positions, religious leaders, the priests and Levites walked back. They weren't caring 
for the, the person, no real concern for the common good. They wouldn't waste a couple of minutes to care for this injured man or to call for help. Just the one man stopped the Samaritan and cared for him, personally cared for him, even spent his own money to provide for his needs and then gave him something that the Pope says we in our frenetic world cling to tightly. Hmm. He gave him his time. Like, do we have time for the person hurting that we were just walked by? And and the Pope says, well, the, certainly the uh, Samaritan had his own plans for that day, his own needs, commitments, and desires, yet he was able to pull himself away when he was confronted with someone in need. Mm-hmm. And without even knowing the injured man, he saw him as deserving of his time and attention. It's interesting, throughout this encyclical, the Pope is addressing us as individuals, but he's also saying this to communities and to countries, Hmm. you know, to care about other countries. Right. He really is very much against nationalism. Right. You know, we're all part of the common human family. And then he asks a question I'd never asked myself. He asks, which of these persons do you identify with? Very direct question. And he says, we need to acknowledge that we're constantly tempted to ignore others, especially the weak. He says, let us admit that for all the progress we've made, we're still illiterate when it comes to accompanying, caring for, and supporting the most frail and vulnerable members of our developed societies. We have become accustomed to looking the other way, passing by, ignoring situations until they affect us directly. I kind of thought about hit and run accident, you know, stuff like that. But but isn't it true? I mean, sometimes we, we say, oh, well, I just don't have time to waste on other people's problems. I don't want to get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said that those attitudes are symptoms of an unhealthy society. Like we don't want to be worried about refugees. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, we're just concerned about ourselves, our own country. He talks about an unhealthy society seeks prosperity but turns its back on suffering. He said, may we not sink to such depths. Let us look to the example of the Good Samaritan. That we're not just citizens of our own nations, which is important, but we're citizens of the world to help build a new social bond and, and really saying the, the common good. We have to be concerned for the common good. So he's calling us to rebuild our wounded world mm-hmm. in, where there's so much pain, so much suffering. He said, the only course for us is to imitate the Good Samaritan, to imitate the Good Samaritan. He said, any other decision would make us either one of the robbers or one of those who walk by without showing compassion for the sufferings of the man on the roadside. The parable shows us, the Holy Father says, how a community can be rebuilt by men and women who identify with the vulnerability of others, who reject the creation of a society of exclusion and act together as neighbors, lifting up and rehabilitating the fallen for the sake of the common good. So we shouldn't be indifferent to suffering. And he's basically saying that this should be the criterion that we should use for judging every economic, political, social, and religious project, 
whether we're going to include or exclude those lying wounded on the roadside. Each day, he said, we have to decide whether to be good Samaritans or indifferent bystanders. All of us have in ourselves something of the wounded man, something of the robber, something of the passerby, and something of the good Samaritan. So basically, will we bend down and care for the hurting or will we pass by? And basically, so many great numbers of people are wounded, stranded on the roadside in the world today. And we can be indifferent. We can have disdain, contempt for these people. We can ignore them. We can say, what can I do about it? It can't be fixed. Imagine if Mother Teresa said that. Yeah. What can I do about it? Well, she started <laughs> by picking one dying person from the gutter in Calcutta. So we're called to solidarity. We're called to generosity. And every day we have opportunities to be good Samaritans. The government can't do everything. And what did the Samaritan do? He took the man to the innkeeper. So he didn't just handle it himself. He united with others to help this man. Right. And we need to do that too. And when he left the man in the inn, he left without expecting any gratitude, without looking for recognition, you know. Or repayment. He, or like repayment. He, he gives money for them and says, if there's more expenses, I'll pick up the tab whenever I come back through. Yeah. Yep. So just think, he had inner satisfaction, I'm sure, yeah. you know, and so do we. And before God, you know, and that's what's so important. And it's interesting, the parable of the Good Samaritan begins with that question that was asked of Jesus, who is my neighbor? Mm -hmm. But really, the encyclical says what Jesus does in that is he asks us, really, are we being a neighbor? Mm -hmm. uh, are we neighbors to others, especially those who are wounded. This is addressed to the whole world, but then he does kind of give a Christian focus to this parable of the Good Samaritan, because he said, for Christians, we're compelled to recognize Christ himself in each of those abandoned or excluded brothers and sisters. We're mm -hmm. to see Christ in that person by the side of the road, and each person has infinite dignity. And that's a recurring theme of the encyclical is the inalienable dignity of every human person, which is, you know, Christianity, really, and Catholicism in particular. So this is the way to sweep away those dark clouds that he talked about. We need, and it's a closed world, we need an open world, and we need to be able to uh, sweep away those dark clouds by really living the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think we're running out of time, aren't we? Yeah, and I don't know if you want to do a, a part two on this next week, but one of the issues that has been getting a little bit of conversation about is his addressing the death penalty, which yeah. you've talked about on the show with the, the catechism and how that's yeah. been altered a little bit. Any thoughts on, on his Yeah, I mean, here? he's very strong that there's no justification for the death penalty mm -hmm. today. You know, John Paul started on that, uh, kind of development of the church's teaching on the death penalty, where he said that practically speaking, it's not needed anymore today to, right. to protect society because we have ways to protect society without putting people to death, even mm -hmm. if they're murderers. But then Pope Francis even went a step further and not even really recognizing that this is ever a legitimate option. Now, at least in the world today, 
But he doesn't go so far as to say it's an intrinsic evil. Okay. Because that would then be a change in church teaching. He doesn't call it an intrinsic evil, but I think he comes pretty close uh-huh. because he's saying it just it just shouldn't be done today. And the other thing, and I don't know, might take more time to talk about, is how he approaches the just war theory, which we had a episode on right. that not too long ago. But I think I need a little more time to talk about that. Yeah. I think the word he uses inadmissible. It, for the death penalty. You're right. Yeah. In, he doesn't say intrinsically evil, but it's that it's inadmissible. Right, exactly. And you know, it's so sad. We've had a few executions in recent months right here in our state mm-hmm. at the federal penitentiary in Terre Haute. And I think there's a couple more coming up before the end of the year. And it's, uh, it's really heartbreaking, yeah. So for somebody who wants to read this, We've said that it's not just for Catholics, it's for anybody. I think some people might be intimidated by encyclicals and think that this is a church document, it's going to be over my head because I don't have a theology degree. Uh, would you encourage just anybody and everybody to yeah. check it out? Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, I think anyone could. Uh, I would say definitely, you know, I'd, I'd recommend it to our high school students. They can sure. read it. But I think you have to, you can't read it like fast. Right. I mean, you really do have to think about it carefully and you notice in the footnotes i mean a lot of it a lot of it is his own pope francis's teachings and different speeches he's given so you look at the footnotes there are a few from saint thomas aquinas uh-huh. there's several footnotes from john paul ii and uh, and pope benedict but a lot are from talks and speeches that he gave and there's also that famous document that the pope signed with the grand imam of um Ab- at abu dhabi right and some of the ideas in that agreement that they signed are are here in this in this encyclical. So actually, the last chapter talks about world religions and the importance of together protecting the dignity of of the human person and working together for peace, et cetera, and justice in the world. So we can talk about those in our next uh, episode, maybe. Okay. There's so much depth to it, and I, I think it's a, a challenge, too. It's, it's kind of issuing a challenge of, hey, these are some of the pitfalls that we can fall into as citizens of the world, and we need to avoid them. And it's kind of calling out, like, you know, how we're acting on social media or, you know, some of the yeah. news that we're consuming. And he talks about politics. It seems so relevant for today, yeah. especially here in the United that, States. And that chapter where he talks about populism is very interesting. And he talks about a politics of love. I mean, wow, that doesn't, I don't think I've seen a politics of love. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, So, yeah, that will be interesting to to talk about what he says about politics. Yeah. All right. Well, again, if you just do a search for the latest papal encyclical, you're going to find all kinds of hits on it as well as articles and highlights from it. Uh, But encourage people to check this out and other papal encyclicals. It's not as intimidating. I would say it's even easier to read. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is a great thing that I think a lot of Catholics might be intimidated by. Not not as hard to read as people might assume it. I think papal encyclicals are even easier to read than catechism. So, yeah. uh, people should definitely check it out and um, you know maybe get a paper copy if that's more your style, if you like that. Or again, you can get a free PDF of it by doing a search and finding it on the Vatican website. All right, and if you have any questions for Bishop, you can 
Go to the Holy Cross College text line. Just text 260-436-9598 or go to the website, redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. Submit your question there. Find past episodes. Share some episodes with your friends. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Listen to next week's episode of Truth in Charity as Bishop and Kyle continue their conversation about the Pope's newest encyclical, Fratelli Tutti. Listen anytime by searching for Truth in Charity on your favorite podcast app or, more directly, by going to the Redeemer Radio app and selecting Podcasts. If you have a question for a future episode, submit it by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.